Inside Chicago Government. Logical. Flawlessly logical. ShyGov.com. Welcome to another in a series of interviews with Ben Jarofsky. I'm Dave Gloetz. Ben Jarofsky writes on government and politics for the Chicago Reader, and he's here with me today just before April Fool's Day. That is correct. I did not realize that. That, When is April Fool's Day? Monday. Monday, wow. Do you have any jokes planned? Practical Mm, jokes? No, no, no practical jokes. I'm not really a big practitioner of April Fool uh, humor. What about the mayor? I think he has any jokes planned, like he'll he'll make an announcement, (laughs) those 54 schools we said we're closing? Just kidding. Just kidding, yeah. We're closing 120. Yeah, yeah. He's always got a little joke up his sleeve, that mayor of ours. We'll see what happens. But today we're talking about your article that appeared in The Reader on March 28th, 2013, and it's titled... Before the schools, Mayor Emanuel closed the clinics. Yes. In this article, you talk about the effects of the city's 2012 closure of six of its 12 mental health clinics. Mm-hmm. And you describe the effects in terms of hardships encountered by people the centers served, how much the city saved. Should I put that in air quotes? Saved. <laughs> and the workload of the remaining members. Just to review what actually closed, there were 12 clinics. That is correct, sir. The ones that closed, I have a list here. You are amazing. Northtown Rogers Park, which was on Howard. The Northwest Clinic, which was in my neighborhood, Milwaukee and Fullerton. Mm-hmm. Auburn Gresham, which was at 82nd and Ashland. Back of the Yards, which was at 43rd and Ashland. Woodlawn at 63rd and Woodlawn. And Beverly Morgan Park, which was on 111th Street. According to this list, there is only now one left on the north side, and that's the North River Mental Health Clinic on Pulaski and Foster over there by North Park Village. Stay strong, Northsiders. Stay strong. (laughs) Don't go crazy. Don't go crazy. (laughs) They're trying to make you crazy. (laughs) Yes. So help me about what's going on here. My understanding about the closed clinics is that clients without the adequate insurance are, quote, transitioned, unquote, to one of the remaining six clinics that were, were transitioned. Does that sound right? Yes. Transitioned. And clients <laughs> That's with such insurance. A city word. Yeah. <laughs> Transition. That's why I used quotes. <laughs> and clients with insurance were referred to private providers. I actually don't know. I guess in the general practical scheme of things, that's what happened. I presume that it was not nearly as efficient as the mayor's people would have you believe and that folks were sent to all different places. So people without insurance undoubtedly went to private clinics where they discovered that what they once received for free was now going to cost them money. So they walked away. Lord knows what happened to them. This is what, when you talk to the mental health activists and patients themselves, these are kind of stories they tell, which is why the caseload dwindles, because people just stop going. So yes, in principle, it was supposed to work that way. In practice, I think it was a lot more confusing and chaotic. Do city clinics have revised criteria for new clients that shunts more of them to private providers than previously? I don't know the answer to that. I do know this. I don't know if it's a specific criteria that's drafted into code, but the practical effect is that it's so overcrowded at the clinics right now that people either stop seeking help there. If they have no money, they don't get help anywhere. Or if they have insurance, they try to you know find a not-for-profit that can see them. As I try to make it clearer in the story, this is like a very small slice of Chicago. I mean, it's a relatively small number, I think, of people in Chicago 
or people anywhere, I have actually no idea what, who seek therapy for their mental health issues, even though many more probably could use it. There's such a stigma against it. And so then you slice that down to the people who cannot afford mental health therapy. And so that is the um, community that's served by mental health clinics. And so in a perfect world, which I realize Chicago bears no resemblance to, the city would be far more proactive in getting therapy to people who need it. You know, when there's like, God forbid, a bit of shooting in a well-to-do community suburb or rural town that has money, you hear stories how the schools are sent. Grievance counselors. Grievance counselors dispatched, and um, the people understand the trauma that such incidents cause. Well, here we have Chicago where there's so much carnage, so many murders, uh, so many students and parents and just ordinary citizens of, who are affected by it, and they don't have access to that therapy. So in my opinion, it's one of the more particularly cruel cuts that Mayor Rahm Emanuel has made since he took office. I was just listening to an interview with the head of the Los Angeles public school system. The interview had to do with in-school arrests of students and how that district is trying to cut down on that, trying not to use law enforcement as a way to take care of sort of administrative problems of tardiness and things like that. And he talked about how many of their kids come to school anxious, if not angry, because on their very trip to school, they're like in a war zone. Yeah. They're at a heightened tension. Children should be somewhat carefree and allowed to develop in a nurturing environment. And never mind what happens at home. Some of these kids may be parents yeah. coming to school. Right. And that's stressful enough. Yeah. But then on their way to school, they're full of heightened tension. And in school, there, you know, there may be conflicts. So he talked about all these kids, you know, no wonder they're angry and not ready to learn. Right. And how do you help them? We have at a base level societal issues that that really need addressing. But in the meantime, how do you help these kids learn? And so, you know, just to bolster your point that this is one of the worst times to remove mental health services. Unbelievably bad planning, cruel planning, the overall net effect the money they allege to save is so minuscule. I mean, if you use their numbers, which, of course, you can always doubt. But anyway, the net effect is they're saving about $1.7 million a year. I don't know what the point is other than uh, Mayor Rahm came into office determined to make symbolic cuts that showed that he was taking command of the budget in a way that his predecessor had not. And so this is a symbolic cut. Now, that's, I guess, the best possible spin you can put on it. And that is so cynical. Yeah, that is so cynical. <laughs> that's, that's the, that's like, well, it's all politically motivated as opposed to the ideological spin, which many of the uh, patients, their activists, and just, well, ordinary people in the black community think, which is Mayor Rahm is just trying to uh, pull the plug on lots of poor black neighborhoods and, you know, give people an incentive an extra incentive to leave Chicago. Get them ready for the gentry. Yeah, so we have two choices, Dave, and you can make them <laughs> as to what motivates our mayor. The classic lesser of two evils. <laughs> yes, the classic. That would be the that could be the gold standard example of the lesser of two. What motivates Mayor Rahm to pick on the most vulnerable people in Chicago? Is it one to advance his political career, or two to force black people to leave Chicago? Let's take a survey. I wonder if they should do that like the Fox 32. Joyce Foundation should fund such a survey. Joyce Foundation. They'll survey only white people. (laughs) (laughs) Only white people get to answer our question. You had an interesting quote, at least interesting to me, in the article. You wrote, quote, You wonder why even some aldermen 
most loyal to the mayor are warning him they can't carry his water much longer, yes. unquote. You want to pack that? That's intriguing to me that there are actually some aldermen who are going in that direction. Well, you were w- with me when, I believe you said it publicly, Walter Burnett of the 27th Ward was talking at the school hearing that we both happened to attend where Meneer and Jenner, two schools in his ward, were on the on the platter. Ultimately, they were merged, consolidated, as the mayor likes to call it, into one Jenner school. And he was the one who said his uh, his proposals and his programs keep pushing us and pushing us, and there's only so much we can take. So I've heard it directly from him. I've heard it off the record in conversations with other aldermen um, who are a lot more cautious about going public than Walter Burnett. Thank you, Walter Burnett. But on the other hand, if I may interrupt. Go ahead. You pressed Burnett, as I recall, at that meeting at the Logan Square Auditorium, a school closure meeting, saying, all right, Alderman, you're you're talking a good talk here about you know, pushing back against the closures. Well, why don't you join the activists in some stronger activism around that? And he had no answer to that. Ultimately, Alderman, by and large in Chicago, in this post-Harold Washington era, and even in the Harold Washington era, aldermen like to cling to a greater power. It's just sort of the mentality of an alderman. You just go along with the power that controls City Hall, and you will be put in charge of your little piece of this bigger empire. It's always an interesting challenge. How far can a mayor go in any direction before he or she, there's been one woman mayor, before he or she provokes a rebellion among aldermen. And in recent history, which would be what, the last, how long has it been? Roughly 24 years or so since Mayor uh, Richard uh, M. Daly took control and we have an extension of his regime with Rahm Emanuel. I believe there's been one time that the aldermen have voted against the mayor and that was the big box ordinance and then he vetoed it and He flipped a few aldermen and ultimately prevailed. So as you can see, Dave, the aldermen are willing to travel a great distance to avoid taking a stand. And they'll look the other way in a lot of things. I've been writing critically of black aldermen on the blog for the last week or so because the poor black wards are getting hit the hardest by these cuts. And that's where the leadership, in my opinion, should be coming from in terms of resisting them. And there is no leadership whatsoever to be found, as far as I can tell. So uh, the opposition is being led, ironically, by uh, white aldermen whose wards aren't as hard hit. People like Fioretti and Wagusback, Arena. But those aldermen, the ones you're you're naming, so-called progressive ones, are not the ones you're referring to when you say most loyal to the mayor. Absolutely. I'm waiting for, like, Carrie Austin, for instance, in the 34th Ward, who's the budget director, to just tell Rahm Emanuel directly, either publicly or privately, you have to back off on some of these. Open a few more clinics. Give a few more exemptions to not-for-profits on the water bills. We're not closing shelters. Your school closing plan is on steroids and insane. You know, open up a few of these schools that you want to close. So you said even some aldermen most loyal. How many are we talking about here that are that, that are, are rebelling or starting to say, hey, mayor? At least a half dozen. No. That, but we'll say it. See, here's the thing about Chicago aldermen, which you may or may not know. And I love them dearly. You keep but, saying that. Yes, it's true. Because they give you something to write about. Yeah, they give me something to write about. Most of them don't talk to me anymore, but that's okay, too. It's unrequited. Yeah, it's unrequited love. <laughs> Still haven't gotten any replies to your Valentine's. Yeah, that's okay. 
I can live with that. I can live with an unrequited love for Chicago Alderman. In fact, in some ways, it's healthier for me to keep the distance. But Chicago Aldermen have a great ability to tell people exactly what they want to hear, generally, if you're off the record. So if you have an off-the-record conversation with an alderman, chances are he or she will, you know, Ben, I agree with you 100%, and I was telling the mayor that the other day, you know? <laughs> But, of course, they never managed to say that publicly or on the record. So it's hard to tell exactly what is being said behind closed doors by Chicago aldermen to the mayor. But I do know this. Aldermen, particularly in the Black Wards, are sort of straddling this challenge. You know, on one hand, they don't want to get the mayor mad at them. And on the other hand, they can see that their constituents are very upset, to put it mildly, with the mayor's programs. So their political neck is on the line, not Mayor Emanuel's. Mayor Emanuel could always run to what I would call the Joyce Foundation community, which, of course, is the white people of Chicago who seem to endorse his programs because they don't affect their children or their lives. So it's fine with them if other people's lives are turned upside down in the name of saving a nickel or two. So Mayor Rahm can always fall back on that community. As you recall, Dave, early on in that first budget, where he closed the mental health clinics, he wanted to uh, restrict library hours, cut library hours, cut library service. There was a mini rebellion throughout the city, including the north side. The mayor learned that north siders use libraries to his dismay. He apparently didn't know that before, and he backed off. And so the brunt of the cuts are being paid by people in other communities. So it's always easy to sort of look at a mayoral program. Well, I'm going to be objective about this. Well, it's easy to be objective you know, if you're not being affected by it directly. You know, So um, objectivity is a very interesting dynamic in the city of Chicago. Finally, Dr. Bakara Shuker mm. was appointed commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health by then-Mayor Daley. Have you spoken with him about the mental health clinics? No. The city, big surprise here, Dave, did not choose to respond to my overtures for discussion but I have read the press releases that he's issued and the statements he's issued. So I believe that's what serves for discourse in the Mayor Rahm years is, you know, canned statements written by the press operation. That's his vision of Chicago, as I understand it. Any impressions of Dr. Shuker? He's a team player in the classic sense of Chicago. Not being a doctor, I have a hard time understanding how any doctor could in any way justify closing mental health clinics in uh, high crime areas that are suffering from trauma due to violence. I have a very hard time understanding how any doctor could justify that as one, reform, which is what they call it, two, as being advantageous to the people whose clinics are being closed. I think that that's like Orwellian twist of logic and that a doctor should not be a part of it. It's one thing for a political operative, you know, who has sold his soul to whatever, you know, whatever politician he's serving at the moment to issue that stuff. But I would think, and again, my naivete is coming out, I would think that a doctor would have a greater mission and uh, would not be subservient to those kinds of forces. We'll leave it there. Thanks for joining me today, Ben. Thank you, sir. Listeners, we welcome your questions and comments. You can get those to us via Facebook or Twitter. You can search for Inside Chicago Government or contact us via email via contact at shygov.com. You can subscribe to one of our print or audio feeds on your web at shygov.com. This is Dave Glowatz. Thanks for listening.